Gesundheit! Welcome to the Movie Ladder Podcast, where each week we are discussing a movie and how it connects to the movie that we discussed the previous podcast. My name is Zach Brooks, and I am joined by... Bob Stadensky. And Brenda Fitzpatrick. Last week, we discussed the Quentin Tarantino movie, Reservoir Dogs. And this week, due to a criminals with colorful names connection, we will be discussing the taking of Pelham 123. Hey, 19- Zach, you got it. Yeah, I got it right. I, I, it took me until watching the movie to uh, actually get it. But uh, <laughs> it is not the taking of the Pelham 123. It is it not. Is- it is not a taking of Pelham 123. It is just taking of Pelham 123. It's not uh, the and taking it, of Harry, Pe- Harry Pelham and the Sorcerer's Stone. Right, exactly. It's yeah. very Harry Potter-ish. Uh, yeah. And, of course, we are discussing the 1974 version. Right? Yeah, yeah, we 74? are discussing the 1974 version directed by Joseph Sargent, written based on the novel by John Gotti. Gotti? G-O-D-E-Y? Gotti? John Gotti. John Gotti, I guess. The, I don't maybe that's John a Gotti. pseudonym. Yeah. Um, Who knew that he was also an illustrious novelist? Oh, uh, yeah. And screenplay by Peter Stone, starring Walter Matthau, great, the late, great Robert Shaw, Martin Boslem, Jerry Stiller, Hector Elizondo, Earl Hindman, who most people will know from his work on Home Improvement. Which James was a crazy Robert. thing I learned over yeah. this weekend. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm Very glad funny. We, we finally got to see his face. Yeah. Uh, Except it was under a disguise. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Very true. Brennan, it, it is not the late, great Walter Matthau also? Uh, it is the late, great Walter Matthau, but everyone loves Robert Shaw, so yes. that's a good point. Uh, so, yes, we will be discussing the taking of Pelham 123, the original version. Uh, spoiler alert, we also may just be discussing the 2008 or maybe 2009 remake that one of the hosts may have watched. Yeah. At the at the end of this episode, we will then decide on our next movie connection, uh, and that will be based on suggestions from your lovely hosts, as well as you, the listeners. So, as you are listening, if you are interested in submitting your ladder connection for the next movie, you can find us at Ladder Movie on Twitter, also yeah. at Ladder Movie on Letterboxd, or you can email us themovieladder at gmail And just as a reminder, uh, there's not a ton to spoil about this movie, but we will be talking about this movie from a spoilery sense uh, once we get into it. So if you have not yet watched it yet, uh, we will put the timestamp for when we start our ladder connection discussion in this podcast description. You probably saw that. Uh, Of course, your best option is to go ahead and pause the podcast, watch the movie, and then come back and listen to our discussion and great news, you can find Taking of Pelham 123 on Amazon Prime streaming for free. All right, and, that's all my plugs. And uh, do not confuse it with also, apparently, when, during my research, I discovered there was a 1998 version of this movie that was direct to video, starring Edward James Olmos, Vincent D'Onofrio, and uh, Donnie Wahlberg. And I had never heard of this movie. Uh, it's pretty crazy that it's actually been made three times. So, if they would have made one in the late '80s, we could have had one every decade. Yeah, uh, I guess we would not have had the one in the 2010s. But yeah, probably uh, not. Edward J. Almost a movie. Well, maybe if someone had made one in the '80s, then someone would have felt compelled to make one in the 2010s. Just that's you know, a good point. Oh, so I guess it's every uh, every ah. No, that doesn't work either. Never mind. <laughs> uh, before we get started. 
we do like to start this with just the other overall general movie uh, recommendations. Did you guys see anything great this week? Av, what did you see this week? I know you watch a lot of movies, at least once uh, a day. Sorry, well, actually, just do Brendan first. Let me pull up my... Okay. Um, so, so we do like to start this podcast with uh, just some of our general movie recommendations and things that we saw that we liked. Uh, what was the best movie you guys saw this week? Brendan? So, I mean, I admit that this is probably a better movie than I'm giving it credit for. I went yesterday and saw Uncut Gems, and I'm not going to spoil anything about the movie. I know that it's gotten a lot of high praise, critical play, praise, critical acclaim for the performances, I just wasn't into it, and maybe it's just my own mindset and my own mood, but I didn't find it overly compelling. I found it a frustrating movie to watch, and um, while I admit the performances were great and the music and score were fantastic, I thought the plot itself just left a lot to to be desired for me, but I know you two both uh, highly disagree with my opinion. Um, I, I give it a solid three and a half stars out of five, though. I mean, because it was still a well-made movie. I just wasn't digging it. Yeah, I loved Uncut Gems. It was my number four movie of 2019. Uh, and it just, it was so intense. I feel like I've almost been able to connect every movie that we've done from this Movie Ladder podcast to Uncut Gems. Uh, Brendan, maybe later on in the podcast, if we have some time, you and I can duke it out. Yeah, a little bit more spoiler-filled version. I will say that you should rewatch that movie because I think you would like it better the second time. Yeah, and this movie, this movie being an Uncut Gems being a New York movie does give it a little connection to Pelham 1, 2, 3. The movie takes place in and around New York, so it's very, it does have a really great New York feel to it, um, as does uh, Pelham 1, 2, 3, so that's a nice connection. Yeah. Well, I, I just looked at my letterbox diary for the week, and I've really failed you guys because uh-huh. I have not seen very many movies this week. Uh, so I watched Reservoir Dogs with you guys last week, and then the next movie I watched was Florida Project, and then I also watched a Reservoir Dogs short, and then I watched Taking of Column One, Two, Three. So I guess Florida Project by default is the best movie I watched last week. Although uh, I liked it, I. Uh, I do not think it's a movie I would want to watch again. It is a very tough watch, but it's beautiful. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Florida Project. I didn't see it until it was streaming on Amazon Prime. I didn't see it when it was at uh, East Street Cinema or any of my local independent cinemas, but I did really enjoy it. Um, I I thought all the kid performances were fantastic. It had a really um, realistic vibe to it. Um, it definitely was, felt very realistic, and I agree. The kid performances and the Willem Dafoe performance was really good. Yeah. Um, it just, yeah. as I was watching it, I just was not having any fun. <laughs> oh, well, it's not, yeah, it's, it's definitely not fun. Um, the one exception to that, and it's a, it's a scene that I, has, like, really stuck with me all these years, that last scene um, where they go to Disney World is just, like, yeah. one, of the, one of the most, like, magical, wonderful scenes I've ever See, it, yeah. recalled. And I just was, I, I wasn't a fan of that. I mean, it was all right. Really? It, was shot, it was shot way differently, and I, I've heard a little bit of the behind-the-scenes of this movie in general. It makes me like the movie a little bit more, but uh, I just, I don't know. The end just kind of felt tacked on to me. Yeah. Well, if you guys want to watch a really fun movie, the other thing I watched this week, within the last, since the last time we recorded, was uh, I finally got around to the Martin Scorsese musical documentary, The Last Waltz. Oh, wow, I've been meaning to check that out. Yeah, it chronicles the uh, final performance of the band. 
this is when Zach goes, what band? And I say, no, the band. Oh, you were setting me up. I see. Yeah. I, I always <laughs> thought, and, and I had heard about that movie and I'd heard about some of the cameos in that. And I always thought yeah. the band was like a conglomerate band with all of these famous musicians. Right. Which apparently is not the case. Yeah, no, it's not. It's actually four relatively unknown, uh, normal white dudes who have a really great band and have all these famous friends that come out to uh, celebrate them after they retire after 16 years of making music. Um, so it's, it's a really cool documentary. It's really well done. The music is fantastic. The interviews are great. And yeah, as you said, all the, all the cameos from all their friends that come out are fantastic. You get like Bob Joey Dylan. and Phoebe and yeah, Chandler. You get, yeah, you get Bob Dylan, you get the two Neils, you get uh, a lot of really cool people, so. Yeah. yeah, well, I was gonna, you said that was a band of four average white guys and I was gonna use that as a great launching point to start talking <laughs> about taking of Pelham one, two, three, but we still gotta know what I've watched this week. So I've, what was yeah, your so favorite? Yeah, so just, um, the, I only really watched a, a couple things this week. It's been a little bit of a slow week, but um, just uh, backing up, coming off Reservoir Dogs, the last movie I watched of the 2019 movies I saw was a documentary called QT8, The First Eight, which is a mm-hmm. documentary that was made about Quentin Tarantino's first eight movies. There's a lot of interviews with a lot of the actors and collaborators and stunt people that worked in all of his films. And it was just, you know, if you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, it was just like really a lot of fun just to see like some behind the scenes stuff, some stories. Um, I'll share, I, I think I mentioned this to both of you, but my favorite little anecdote was that apparently the, the budget for Reservoir Dogs was so small that each of the actors were told that they had to provide their own suits to wear for the mm-hmm. movie. Um, you know, they didn't have a wardrobe budget to give them all matching suits. And they just told everyone just wear a black suit. And apparently Steve Buscemi, if you look closely, you can see he's not wearing suit pants at all. He's wearing black jeans. And it's really funny because I remember when I was watching Reservoir Dogs, I did sort of notice that. But I just, it, it just kind of like, it was an observation and then I didn't even think about it again. But That's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it is really funny. And actually, when I watched the Reservoir Dogs short, you can see like that is talk about low budget. I mean, the cuts mm. are terrible. It's just like the production quality is so yeah. low, but it's, it's... It's no wonder they kept bloodying up the suits or finding excuses for them to take pieces of the suits off. Because, yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, but, but I, I love I, that. I, I love these uh, these movies that are made on on such a such a low budget. Uh, Florida Project had some of that, it seems like. And mm. uh, there's another movie, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but I just heard about it on Film Spotting, and I added it to my watch list. Uh, and it's made by, like, a 16-year-old while he was still in high school. Um, I don't remember what the name of it was. I'd have to... might be Burning Kane. Never heard um, of it. No. I do believe it was called... Yeah, and he got Wendell Pierce to be in it. And it's okay. streaming on Netflix. So it's supposed to be really good. Interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, but... Av, you brought up Reservoir Dogs as we were talking about Quentin Tarantino. And that is a great launching point onto our connection from Reservoir Dogs, which is the taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Of course, last week we talked about Reservoir Dogs. And that movie stars characters who call themselves Mr. Pink, Mr. Blonde, Mr. White, Mr. Brown. And Mr. Blue. And Mr. Blue. In this movie, we have criminals who take over a train, a subway train in New York City, and they are Mr. Green, Mr. Brown, Mr. Gray, and Mr. Blue. Mr. Gray and Mr. Blue. Yes, thank you. Yeah, um, so we have two, two of the two of the four colors overlap. Yeah, yeah. And, and from Av, what you were saying last week, it was a direct influence on Reservoir Dogs and the naming structure for that. 
yes, uh, I think according mm-hmm. to Tarantino himself, and I think you know it was pretty obvious to to anyone um, who was familiar with this movie when they when he came out with that movie that it was an homage slap slash uh, ripping off. And there was some in the movie there was some quote about. Tarantino saying something like, "People accuse me of like paying homage to old movies. I just really ripped them off. Yeah. So, like he's not even, he doesn't even hide the ball about that. But you know, yeah, that's just the way he is. It's funny with this one because they're all sort of wearing the same thing, just slightly different. Just like in uh, Reservoir Dogs with the uh, ill-fitting suits, these guys are wearing ill-fitting coats with ill-fitting yeah. with ill-fitting hats and fake moustaches. And I think I, the hats so- hats match the colors, I believe. Yeah." Um, and I didn't pick up on that in this one that the hats match the colors but I did think that maybe I'm just dense when I saw all of these guys with glasses and mustaches and and coats I was like oh that's that's interesting that must have just been the style back in 1974 that everybody dresses like this so I had no idea they were disguises until like when they took them off I was very surprised that those were fake Oh, well, wow. it's, it's really funny because Robert Shaw still looks like Robert Shaw with or without the disguise on. <laughs> like, he kind of just still looks like the same guy from Jaws. Like, the other four guys are hidden really well behind their mustaches and their glasses and their hats, but Robert Shaw is just instantly recognizable as Robert Shaw. So, yeah, and I thought one thing, you know, in terms of just, like, comparison, the way that that device is used in both movies, and in my mm-hmm. opinion, it was much more effective for the audience in Reservoir Dogs, probably much more effective for the, the robbers in taking a Pelham 123 to be in disguises mm-hmm. where you can't really differentiate one from the other. But in terms of watching a movie, I find that I found that very confusing and distracting because like mm-hmm. trying to figure out who's who. And as a result, you don't really develop a relationship with any of the robbers the way you do in Reservoir Dogs with each of the yeah. individual criminals where you know who everyone is. They each have a very distinct personality. It kind of blurs the line between all four of them in this movie and i thought that was a flaw of the film that like i i agree unfortunately there's like very little development yeah unfortunately you don't get a scene where you're introduced to the characters like you do in reservoir dogs and i think that the movie loses a lot by not having you know who these guys are having them interact at all before they get on onto the train i think yeah. you know, that's something that tarantino did really well to improve on this formula and reservoir dogs for sure. And as, and as a result, when we'll get into this as we get further into the movie, like when characters make certain decisions later in the movie, mm-hmm. they kind of feel like out of left field because like we don't really right. have the necessary background and relationship with the characters to understand why they make the choices that they do. Right. Yeah. Like the, the use of Mr. Brown being the token crazy one doesn't feel earned to a degree. It just feels like a trope. Because well, in this, so this kind of proves have, your point. Yeah. Was it Mr. Gray the crazy one? Yeah, Mr. Mr. Gray is the one at the end that like refuses to give up his gun, right? Oh, you're right. Okay, see, that's, I originally that's... wrote down Mr. Brown was the loose cannon, too. so maybe yeah. it might be that the script was weird because I originally in my notes Mr. Brown is the loose cannon, similar yeah. to Mr. Blonde. Yep. Then I changed it because it was actually Mr. Gray. So maybe they were both loose cannons, but um... or maybe it's a maybe it's an error in the script where they mix the names up, but. Maybe it's a mistake. I don't know. It yeah. could be a movie goof. But it's interesting that we both, I noted we both Mr. Brown that. as well. I noted, I know, I had in my notes, Mr. Brown is the crazy one. And yeah, I feel like Brown and Gray are just kind of fodder. And it, this movie is really For about sure. Mr. Green and Mr. Blue. For sure. Yeah. Mr. Blue was Robert Shaw, correct? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I thought Mr. Green, he was my favorite of all of yeah. the guys in the disguises. When he was the one, he looked like like a Mr. Magoo type when they show uh-huh. him in the beginning. Um, 
and you know he has Chekhov's uh, yeah. uh, Chekhov's illness where he's sneezing a lot. Yeah. Chekhov's flu, um, yeah. and so he was the one that we're the most introduced to in this movie. But yeah, it, overall, this movie is a pretty shallow level film where we're not getting anything on the characters really. We're just kind of seeing the process of some guys taking a train. And yeah. there doesn't seem to be any bigger plan or motivation. And I get that it was 1974, but doing all of this for a million dollars. It's all about the Benjamins. It is all about It's all about like 10 well, Benjamins. A million dollars is pretty big in 1974. Yeah, let's see. I mean, you got to think about it in terms of inflation. Yeah, but it's still, I mean, look at the risk that they took and like the, oh, the carnage sure. that they caused. And then they didn't seem to really have a getaway plan either. I, guess, I mean, I guess they, they did because they took off the disguises and yeah, put their got jackets foiled. inside out. But, but it um, seemed like it was pretty easy to crack the case of how they planned to get away as well. Yeah. yeah. I feel like when I watch, and we can probably get into heist movies and hostage movies later on in the podcast, mm-hmm. but I feel like when I watch more modern heist and hostage movies, they're usually like the, you know, the, the, misdirect plan is that they want money but really they're like trying to do something much bigger than money right uh, i think or, of like die hard with a vengeance or inside man and, and some of these other ones or of course so, die hard was the exact opposite where they mm-hmm. made it seem like it was some political play and really they were just after yeah. money um, i just looked up so a million dollars in 1974 is about five million dollars today that's not too bad. I mean, you could go play Survivor and almost get that much money, and you're yeah, not going to you kill win. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or, you know, these guys get endorsements and things yeah, like so, that. Yeah, so Mr. Green, by the way, is played by Martin Balsam, and for those yeah. who may have recognized him, he is the foreman of the jury in 12 Angry Men, and he also plays the private investigator in Psycho. So and he's, he's also in uh, All the President's Men as one of the cub reporters. Oh, wow. Um, okay. He's got several good lines in, in All the President's Men, um, yeah. which is what I recognized him from. Although at first I did think he was the same actor that played Paulie in the Rocky movies, but it's not him because he's way too old at that point to have been him. But he does kind of look like the actor who played Paulie in the Rocky movies, but it's not him. Yeah, but so he's really been scattered across some real yeah. classics. Yeah, for sure. And I was um, surprised Robert Shaw, he's been in some movies, but he really hasn't been in as much as I would expect. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, most people know him for Jaws. He's right. sort of known as this classical actor type. He was in uh, A Man for All Seasons, which is a classic um, Shakespearean-style dra- drama um, surrounding Henry the – which one? Henry the Second. Do, 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 do. Sorry, Henry VIII and his uh, attempts to annul his marriage so that he could marry uh, Anne Boleyn, I believe, if I'm remembering my English history correctly. Yeah, you, you would be the expert on that. I don't but know. Um, yeah, he's really he's really more known for his um, independent style movies in the 60s and 70s, um, and he didn't do a whole lot. Yeah, maybe he's just in, maybe movies. he's just in my blind spot. Yeah. Um, and then of course, Mr. Brown is played by Earl Hinman and Brendan, I think you referenced this earlier. Earl yeah. Hinman played Wilson, the neighbor who obscures his face, Home Improvement. Yep. And he also had a small role in Three Men and a Baby, which is a, uh, a underrated 80s movie, I believe. Interesting. So we've talked a lot about uh, all of the villains in this, all of the, well, heist, we haven't gotten the train the heisters. We didn't get into Mr. Gray yet, who is uh, Hector Elizondo, who I know I first saw in the cheesy 90s 
football drama necessary roughness starring Scott Bakula as coach Ed Straight Arrow Gennaro. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hector Elizondo, but he's a pretty famous character actor, and he plays Mr. Gray. No, I actually had no idea who he was. So, like in my head, I kept thinking of them as the guy from Jaws, Wilson from Home Improvement, the guy mm-hmm. from Twelve Angry Men, and the other guy who I don't know. So that's so my he, I I know him from some of his you know eighties and nineties stuff. Like he was in Beverly Hills Cop three, and yeah. he's also in Pretty Woman. Uh, but he looks nothing like that, especially because he's in disguise. But he's oh, yeah, also much sure. younger, much younger, uh, yeah. And uh, he also, it looks like, was in the movie nineteen ninety seven movie Turbulence, which I oh, believe yeah. they reference in the Mister Robot post show recaps quite a bit because it's a killer ride for sure. That movie. For sure, it, um, he's in a lot of random nineties movies as well. Apparently, he's in Lego Batman. Yeah, so, yeah, and uh, he was on. Uh, I believe he was on ER for several seasons as well. Um, so he's been around. He's gotten around. So we've talked about our four criminals in this, but we haven't talked at all about the star of the movie, a star with a character name that I much appreciated because his name is Zach, but it doesn't matter what his last name is. His first name is Zach, Zach Garver. And he is played by Walter Matthau. He's been around for a long time. He's been in a ton of movies. And in this movie, he plays, I don't know if he's like an MTA cop, I guess, a lieutenant. Uh, Yeah, he's a transit police officer, yes. Transit police officer. Yeah. And wears a bright yellow shirt. So he might as well have been called Mr. Yellow in this movie. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. Yeah, I am a huge Walter Matthau fan and have been for a long time. Um, he's just one of those actors that every time he pops up, you just enjoy him because he's always slightly off and slightly curmudgeonly. And just, I, I really enjoy his work. Um, I first became acquainted with him from his work in uh, Bad News Bears which I probably saw when I was way too young to see Bad News Bears for the first time. <laughs> but um, obviously he's more well-known also as he got older, he became more well-known for his work with uh, Jack Lemmon in the Grumpy Old Men movies. He was in JFK, which is going to come up later. He was in Mr. Wilson in the Dennis the Menace remake, which will come up later. Um, he kind of looks the same in the Dennis yeah. the Menace movies because they, they like – put the makeup on it to make him look younger in that. Um, well, he's, he always, like... he's always kind of been this old for a solid 25 years. Like Sean because, Connery? Yeah, because he even looks that age when he's in Hello, Dolly, 10 years prior to this. So, yeah, I mean, he's sort of always had that same older, curmudgeonly look, which is which led to him getting a lot of work in... Um, in 50s and uh, 60s westerns as well as like a bad guy. You know, yeah, I, I was a big fan of his kind of old-timey New York accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, Av, you live in New York. Do you still hear accents like that? Because I feel like you just don't hear that accent very often. Um, from older people, you do. I mean, it's, it's always like a, a nice reminder when you, when you come across someone who still talks like that. Uh, but it's, yeah. you know, it's becoming less and less common. Uh, also, just like I think New York has even more so become a place that has people from all over. So like there's like not as many like real New Yorkers as much still a lot, mm-hmm. obviously, but like, it's just, I mean, especially in like the city, like the city is like a large percentage is like people from all over the country that have moved to New York. Um, you know, if you, if you go out to like Queen or Long Island, Queens or Long Island, you'll find more of like those like classic New York types. And if, you know, if you go into a Jewish deli, then for sure you'll find mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I did feel like he's the, he's a guy you would see in an old Jewish deli. I don't yeah, even know if it is, is Walter Matthau Jewish. I'm assuming he is, but I'm, I'm not sure. Not sure. Not sure. Um, and I, I would be remiss before you move on if I also didn't bring up his uh, 
seminal work again with Jack Lemmon in the 1968 movie Odd Couple, which is a Neil Simon classic, and everyone uh, comes away enjoying that movie when they see it. It's a really funny movie. It stands the test of time. So uh, if if no one's ever seen, I'm not going to recommend it today. But if no one's ever seen the 1968 Odd Couple, highly recommend. I've never actually seen it. So, but maybe yeah, it'll so, come up uh, later. So Walter Matthau is Jewish. He grew up on the Lower East Side. So he's exactly okay. what he's we exactly think about. Who he is in the movies. He's a That's Jew great. from the Lower East Side whose mother worked in a garment factory. Like he's, you know, he checks all the boxes. So. Yeah. And uh, I liked in this movie when they they show the uh, they show a lot of the command center for the subway system mm-hmm. and they yeah. all have these microphones that they remind me like they're like doing podcasts i feel like because they're pulling the microphones close to their mouth doing like their their updates and then pushing them away um, yeah the first the first thing that struck me about this movie that i thought was like really well done was uh that opening title uh the opening sound uh was the opening music um mm-hmm. that, like that like jazzy saxophone sound just like sounds exactly like what you would hear if you're on a new york city subway standing on a platform you Absolutely. know all the performers it's just like really right away puts you right into the mood right into the you know that has that great new york city vibe um just like people like running in all different directions no one paying attention like no one noticing that there's like four guys with guns about to board mm. board a train um yeah. i thought it did a really good job of capturing that kind of like gritty dirty 70s new york city that i love right i i agree and actually last week i was editing the podcast and i think the first thing i said about this movie to you guys is i said like wow this theme is like perfect for podcast intro or outro mm-hmm. music it's just like it really gets you in the mood it's really fun you guys probably heard this at the beginning of this podcast because i'll clip some of that music in there and i thought also it is just like your kind of like traditional 70s uh heist thriller music as well it reminded me of yeah. uh you know so many other movies i've seen before like the conversation and and things like that where you just get that like old school kind of jazzy score yeah yeah and this is actually a really solid new york movie as well um it doesn't play fast and loose with the uh time and space of the new york streets it actually felt really realistic between um where everything was laid out as far as the subway system went and uh, the distance between the streets and how much time it would take to get from the lower, lower, lower west side all the way up to 18th um, was really realistic to me. Uh, I don't know if you felt the same way, but I've spent some time down near Houston and Fulton um, and it does take a really long time to get up from that area back towards Midtown. So it, it definitely felt realistic to me. Um, I don't know how you felt about it as yeah. an actual resident. Yeah, I mean, that, that was probably my, my favorite part of the movie was just like the setting. Like I, I didn't think mm. that, as we said before, like the characters are not like super well developed, even Matthau, who's the main character. Like you, you get a little sense of like what his deal is, but not a lot. Um, and the plot is like, you know, it's, it, it, it's entertaining enough, it's a, but it's a pretty straightforward, forward momentum story. Um, but the, uh, the setting of New York City and just, like, bringing that alive to me, that's what made this movie work at all. Like, I didn't think the other parts of the movie were that good, but that part I really enjoyed. So do I you guys think – I mean, yeah, do you guys think that that scene – it's probably the most high-stakes action scene in the, in the movie, which is when the cops are driving the million dollars mm. – up to where the the train is so you said that they played well with the geography do you think that that that's realistic the cops just like shooting through the streets of of manhattan trying to deliver this money 
Um, as far as all the obstacles went, I think so. All the all the turns they would have to make and the issues they would have navigating the streets, 100%. It felt on point to me. Um, and it also made sense to me that they, you know, crash and burn on their way to do it because they can't get around a uh, pedestrian, you know. Um, it, it definitely made sense to me. Yeah. Av, what did you think of that scene? Um, th that was a fun scene. Um, you know, mm -hmm. cops, you know, they could in New York, they could still, you know, put on their sirens. They're often able to elude traffic sometimes, but there are sometimes where they can't, you know, there's, mm -hmm. there's just too many cars, too much traffic, too much going on. Like there's only so much you can do, especially when you're dealing with New Yorkers who don't give a shit that, you know, you have an emergency <laughs> to get to, like they got to get to work. They got to get to their theater whatever it is, you know, whatever I, else is going on is not. Important. I was really shocked when that cop car hit, I don't remember exactly what it hit. I know it hit the delivery guy on the bike, but then it hits something and the car actually flips. Yeah. And that was way more, I think that was more kind of stunt action-y than we had seen that, for that much you of expected. Movie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was probably like all the budget for the movie probably went to that. I don't, yeah, I thought that was definitely the best sequence in the movie for me, um, personally. I Because it was unexpected, I didn't expect that to actually happen. So it was, it, it came off to me as the best sequence in the movie. Yeah, I had um, seen the I had seen the remake in two thousand nine, mm -hmm. and I didn't really remember. I mean, that was over ten years ago, so I couldn't really remember much about the remake. Uh, so I didn't know where the plot was going. So I thought maybe they were going to end up just delivering the money, and then um, you know it was, we were going to see some greater plan. I kept expecting some bigger plan to develop. I, and, I agree. I I also thought there was going to be what's like what's plan what part two of this? Uh, right, right. It never it never really developed. Um, one thing that I, my main takeaway from this, and it's something that kind of comes up in a lot of heist movies, is there's always the part where they're like, okay, we want the money, and the government is like, okay, we'll get you the money, but it's going to take time because you know right. government, there's bureaucracy, you know, we you know we Patty is from accounting is out today, and she's the only one that had could sign the form to get you the money. So my what I would say is if if we ever want to run a heist, we need to make sure to get someone on our team who used to work in like city hall or something who's Correct. like very familiar with you know, yeah. government bureaucracy and how to get stuff done. So that yeah, way it, we can say, hey, we want the money and here's how you're going to get it to us. And we've already had the form pre-cleared. <laughs> it's already <you> know, signed. <laughs> yeah. yeah like it's, the, it's, it's the dog day afternoon problem. It's the point break problem. Yeah. It's the, this happens in every, every movie. got to yeah, plan ahead. It's the, yep. Every single heist movie has this yeah. problem because, and it's, it's a well-worn trope, but it's one that always like, when it's actually done well, is actually pretty good. But it's uh, it's also like used in every single heist movie for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, now I think that if anybody's doing some sort of heist like this, they're just asking for Bitcoin. I don't think they're asking for cash. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess it's different these days. Yeah. Speaking of bureaucracy, uh, we got to touch on this mayor. And I <laughs> yeah. wrote down oh, Mayor you mean, Quimby. You mean not Ed Ed Koch? Yeah, not Mayor yeah, Quimby. Not Ed also. Koch. Yeah. Yeah, he's a doofus. This mayor. Yeah. And also sick was what was the reason that we have two main characters that both have the flu? Is it just that the flu is going around these it's days? It's going around this time of year, I guess. Yeah, I love that scene where he like he's like, okay, so what are the politics going to be? And he's like, oh, very simple. The Times is going to support you. The Daily News <laughs> is going to be against you. The Post is going to split the difference. You know, right. the blacks <laughs> and the Jews will like it. The Latinos and the Italians will be against it. It's like it felt yeah. very <laughs> like today. We're like. Whatever you do, like everyone's already made up their mind, it doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then I think his wife, who was played by Doris Roberts, says, Well, at least if you yeah. save them, you'll get you'll gain eighteen voters of the people that were on the train. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I don't know if you guys recognize the name Doris Roberts. Doris Roberts is most famous for playing Ray Romano's mom in Everybody Loves Raymond. Yeah, oh, this was, yeah. It was yeah, it was so this was funny for me because I had a friend once and this was probably in like nineteen ninety nine 
where I got into an argument with someone for like an hour because they claimed that the mother from Everybody Loves Raymond is the same as the mother from Seinfeld. And of course, Jerry oh, Stiller, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, George's father from Seinfeld in this movie. And this was like back before you could just like easily settle this argument in 30 seconds by pulling up mm. IMDb or Wikipedia. So we just like yelled at each other for an hour and a half back and yeah. forth with either, and me insisting, no, they're different people. And him yeah. insisting, like one is, has orange hair, one has blonde hair. And he was like, no, they're the same person. I know for yeah. a fact. And you know, there was, there was no way to settle anything in those days. It was yeah. very sad. Well, I made the same mistake while I was watching and had to double check myself just to be sure. And I was glad I did, or otherwise I would have come on here and said the same thing and you would have called me a moron. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, they do, they do have a, a somewhat of a similar look. But yeah, and they have a similar people. vibe, too. I mean, <laughs> yes, yes. the over-doning, over-loving Jewish yes. mother, yeah, they're very, yeah, very similar. I do love that we have uh, Jerry Stiller in this movie who does play yeah. George's dad yeah. in Seinfeld. So yeah, it's, he's great. And it's great to know that we have... Uh, we also have the mother of Ray Romano. It's like the the people who cast these uh, CBS and NBC sitcoms. They watch old movies and they just pick out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. This so this movie is like a who's who of like '90s sitcom. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do we know who played the drunk lady? Because I thought it was really funny when the lady who was just drunk and passed out on the train the whole time and then wakes up so at it the was end. Funny. I I thought it was a time traveling uh, Margot Martindale. Yes, I said the same thing. I have in my notes: character, actress, Margot Martindale? Question mark. <laughs> yeah, but that time doesn't make any sense. Margot Martindale. Yeah, like, but yeah. there's no way she could have been that <laughs> old no in the 1970s. Way. Or wait, was it and or was that and down? And yeah, yeah, maybe that was maybe your character actress and down. It's possible. Maybe it's maybe it's their their conglomerate uh, child who traveled back in time. I don't know. Yeah, someone needs to look into this. Yeah, I meant to see if I could figure yeah. out who it was, but like she wasn't even like in the top fifteen on like the cast listing. So I yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let the so, mystery be. So you know, we we've we've kind of talked about most of the the plot. You know, there's not really much plot. It's, it's really just kind of this process. Uh, but eventually, our criminals uh, do get away, and, and then they start one by one dying. We do see Mr. Blue have a showdown with Zach, uh, Zach Garver. And yeah. this was confusing to me. Yes. So, so he says to him, <laughs> yeah. do they have the death penalty in New York? And I think Garver <laughs> says no. And then they do reference earlier the third rail and not touching yes. the third rail. Well, then yeah. Mr. Blue just touches the third rail and electrocutes himself. Yeah. So, and, th and this is what I was referring to earlier when I said, like, without giving you more background on these people, when, you, when they make decisions, they seem like out of left field. Like, I did not yeah. understand why he killed himself. And even in, like, the context of that conversation, the whole, like, do they have the death penalty? No. Okay, so therefore I'll kill myself. So fine, you want to avoid going to jail, so you'd rather die. But then why is the death penalty relevant? <laughs> And again, why, if you're so afraid of going to jail, why are you robbing a train for a million dollars? I get yeah. it. I get it. It's money. Times are tough. But yeah, that was, that was a very bizarre scene. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't jive with me, the ending. The other, th the other problem I had was the whole undercover cop part right before that, leading up to that. Yeah. It was so dark. You couldn't tell what the F was going on and why. Yep. And it was just really poorly shot. Um, yeah, and that guy wasn't really, I feel like in a newer movie, they would have developed that, that yeah. undercover yeah, like, cop a little bit more, you know, on like a speed or something like that. Like some, you know, you would know yeah. who this marshal is. Like you never uh, right. at least you'd, you'd know the character. So when it's revealed that he's the undercover cop, it has yeah. some impact. This was, I guess it was the hippie guy. Was the hippie Yeah, looking? and you never get a single shot of him that I noticed throughout the entire movie leading up to that. Like there's no focus on him. So also, why was there an undercover cop on this train? Like they didn't like, know it was going to be. Maybe he was traveling from point A to point B, but and how and how did like Walter Matt? Like how did the cops know? Like 
Yeah, exactly. didn't they say that he had a that he had a friend who got off earlier and then alerted them? Oh, okay. Uh, maybe I, but maybe it's I it's that. that's still like you gotta you gotta yeah. It, go just, from, it, it didn't make sense why he was that. there, who he was, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's just like, oh, I'm the undercover cop. I'm gonna go chase this guy and shoot him down. Right. It was very it was very strange. Yeah. Another thing that didn't make a lot of sense was before that they they send the train off flying, you know, and it's it's going really fast. And mm-hmm. I thought that was that was shot well. It really conveyed that the train was going really fast, but. Did I miss something? How did they get around that dead man switch where they had to be holding the? They figured out some way to override it. But did yeah. they show that, or did it was it just kind of like, oh hey, it's working now? I I think it was more just like uh you know, Deus yeah. Ex Machina, like okay we ha- we you know well they they established like that one of them was previously had been a train conductor or something, so like he right, knew Mr. some Green. stuff. Yeah. yeah, so like yeah. he had figured out some way to override the dead man switch, and the whole idea was going to be that because of the dead man switch the cops would assume that if the train is still going, they must still be on the train. And meanwhile, right. they were going to get off and the train would keep going and then they wouldn't know where they got off. They would never be able to find them. Um, but then somehow, of course, they figured out, oh, oh, well, maybe they'll override the dead man switch. I don't know. It was, again, another thing where it was just like kind of a, a silly plot device out of left field that didn't really make a lot of sense and kind of detracted from the, uh, the story. Yeah, but yeah. Zach, Zach Garber knew what was up and he went down there and yeah. so, found him. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, so we, we lose Mr. Blue because he electrocutes himself. We lose Gray and Brown in different shootouts. I think Blue kills Mr. Gray because uh, Blue kills, Mr. Blue kills one of them before he dies. Uh, so Mr. Green, the one who at the beginning of the movie says, <laughs> I feel like today is the day I'm going to die, is the only one of the four who survives. As far and, as we know, yeah. And yeah, goes home and is like Scrooge McDucking all over his money on his bed. <laughs> um, meanwhile... The uh, the cops are looking for this missing criminal. Yeah, they they, fig- this- they figured out that it's a train, someone who worked in the trains before, right. and they've narrowed it down to like a list of fifteen people who were like off that day, and they're going door to door in different apartments. Obviously, very quickly, they're going all over New York City, you know, as this is happening, and eventually they come to uh, his house. Yeah. yeah, and Mr. Green, who is, uh, you know, you would think that if you just got away with this crime, you would. I don't know. You would be a little more discreet. You would try to get away. You wouldn't just be hanging out at your apartment because yeah, they with the money. With, yeah. With the money. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, as soon as they show Mr. Green in his apartment, alarm bells were just going off for me. And I was like, okay, so this is where Chekhov's sneeze is going to come back because he did say yeah. this to him like three times during the movie. Yeah. And I was like, he's yeah, totally yeah. going to sneeze and it's going to reveal himself because he's the only person who could be a train conductor and also sick on the same day. And also, right, and sneezes. Yeah, sneezing is a very distinct characteristic that yeah. most people yeah, don't think. I mean, no one I mean, else was you know, sneezing it, in New York that day. It's, I mean, it didn't bother me that much because it's, it's yeah. very much played for laughs. Like it's supposed yeah. to be silly, yeah. you know, and, and and especially that whole vibe between Matthew and Mr. Green has that kind of like silly vibe throughout. So like that didn't really mm-hmm. bother me, even if obviously it doesn't make sense, but it's, you know, it's supposed to be comedic. Yeah. I, th- I mean, I thought, you know, it was, I feel like the movie kind of fell apart in the third act, but that yeah. see, it was also fun. Like it's just a light kind of like very simple heist movie. Yeah. And I, I was, felt low stakes. Um, there was, was a lot of uh, similarities for me between a movie like this and uh point break was one that I thought of while I was watching this that had sort of, isn't necessarily a great movie, but it's still a fun movie hey, to you watch stop and it. throw on at a, you know, it's still a fun movie to throw on on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon and um, take this journey with the characters from this heist movie. Yeah. Uh, what, what were you going to say? I was waiting for Chekhov's don't put paper money in the oven to pay off. Yeah, I was yeah, thinking of that, that too. too. <laughs> I, 
I was like, what are you doing, Pat? Like, put it in the fridge. Put that would have been great because we would have had a third movie in this connection in a row where it kind of was all done for nothing. Like Fargo, yeah. Reservoir Dogs, maybe he gets away with yeah. money, but if they just we turned down the oven and then the money all just went up. Yeah, especially that he asked, he asked if he could light his cigarette on the stove. I was like, exactly. oh, I mean, this is yeah. obviously how it's going to end. And then it didn't. I was like, why did you even have to put it in the oven if you're not? I mean, I guess it's still built tension right. for a little bit in that scene, but it was a little strange. Yeah. No, it is like a funny, like the last shot where he like, looks back in and, and, the, and the, the screen freezes and the frame mm-hmm. goes like okay that's a, yeah. that's a cute it's a cute ending i mean it's not this is not a movie i'm like dying to ever rewatch again but if it was no. on amc and i was just like right. going around on a saturday like, you know it's not a bad movie to just have on in the back yeah, yeah it's, it's a good one for the channel flipping for sure uh, all right um couple, before we move on to ratings i did a little bit of uh deep dive into seeing what since it came up who the actress was that played the drunk lady on the train. Oh, yeah. Uh, Taking of Pelham 123 was her final role in 1974. Her name was Louise Larrabee. She didn't die until um, March of 2002, though, so she gave up acting about halfway through her life and career and retired after Taking of Pelham 123 in 1974 and I guess just went on to live a full life. Yeah, or live a full life for the next 30 years. Um, yeah, a couple other loose ends real quick um, that we have in this movie. So, you know, the mayor just kind of disappears, I felt like. Uh, mm-hmm. We also had the four Japanese men. Um, yeah, I mean, they basically exist just for exposition dump. Like, they, yeah. they're there so that Walter Matho and the other cops could explain to them how the trains work and the numbering work, which mm-hmm. I thought was, like, again, you know, old-fashioned, very sloppy. You, like, you would never get away with that in a modern movie to have, like, such a deliberate... We're going to introduce these characters just so we could explain to them something. Yeah, also, so we can just have some casual racism throughout this movie. Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. ends on a comedic button to, oh, ha, 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 you thought they didn't understand you the entire time, and they did. Right. Yeah, yeah. although to their credit, I think there, I, and I, I don't remember offhand, but I think there were a couple times where Walter Matthau's character, who has, you know, certain racial prejudices, like, mm-hmm. it comes back to bite him because he makes certain assumptions about things that sure. end up being wrong. So, you know, that it's not entirely oh, that's like, true. oh, yeah. ha, ha, With... people are racist. It's like, he was racist, and he's a bad cop, that's so yeah. that was, um, you know, yeah, the I whole Lieutenant Daniel, bit... the whole cringeworthy Lieutenant Daniels moment. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, I thought you were going to be shorter. Yeah, that was real bad. We also have, <laughs> uh, you know, I guess there's another connection to Reservoir Dogs and Tarantino, mm. but we do have the N-word dropped randomly yes. in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we do. It's, but yeah, that's, that's, you know, old fashioned movies. You can't judge them by today's standards. Yeah. Uh, so before we move on, uh, yes, I did mention that I, after I finished this movie, I was... Uh, looking for something on my Roku. I was looking for this on my Roku. And I realized that the remake from 2009 is on Netflix. So we have the original on Amazon Prime, the remake on Netflix. Uh, and it was actually a very fun movie to do kind of a double feature back to back. Because there's some things that they definitely brought over. They brought over the line about today, I feel like I'm going to die. Um, it is very 2009. The costumes, the uh, Tony Scott, like circling camera, um, the cast. <laughs> The whole movie is just so like they took this movie and they just put it in two thousand nine. Yeah. They also made the... the the themes in this movie much more about like terrorism and the financial crash. Um, mm-hmm. So the movie's more about like how the the train getting hijacked affects the stock market. <laughs> um, we did we they got rid of the color names, which I didn't appreciate. Oh man. Um, they took the money delivery scene, and that is like Tony Scott took that and put that scene on steroids. I feel like he saw that scene and he's like, I could do this better, and that was why he. <laughs> remade the movie from the beginning yeah um, 
So it, it is uh, very Tony Scott. We get Travolta being his most Travolta. But lots of lots of fun, uh, lots of fun cast members in this movie. Uh, the mayor character is played by James Gandolfini, and he Fantastic. references uh, my favorite line was he said, "I'm not running for re-election. I'm running for president, and I left my Rudy Giuliani suit at home." <laughs> I, I would recommend if, if if you have the time to watch both of these back to back. It's a fun double feature. So. Yeah. Hopefully that we don't pick the 2009 version as our connection, because then I have yeah, to watch it again uh, and, and give all of that. Yeah, I, I could uh, I could pretty much guarantee we're not going to do that. Yeah, uh, Denzel Washington in... is great also. He's just yeah, always of course. so good. He's always great. Yeah. Are you annoyed that they changed the main character's name from Zach to Walter? Uh, you know I have that written in my notes, <laughs> of except, course. <laughs> except it was a homage to Walter Matthau, so that's why they named him Walter. Oh, yeah, that's true. I didn't even put that you together. You can't be too mad at it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the music is not as good in the remake. They just use a lot of like modern hip-hop, which is it's fine. But it's it's not that that classic uh, score that we get. Right. Um, oh, oh right. one so other we... point. I know. I know. We're trying to move yeah. on. Uh, I love the poster. If in the in the art for oh, this, yeah. you can see it on on Letterbox uh, for taking of column one two three. Yeah, it's um, really cool. It, it's just like I would I would hang that poster up in in my living room. I think that's it's just got so much going on and so much action. Uh, have you got anything else on taking of column one two three? Um, just one trivia note is that they there was a, a long period of negotiation between the, the, the film and the New York City Transit Authority to get authorization to film movies on the subways. And right. what, would, what might surprise you is that the thing that the city was the most worried about is that the movie would cause like crazy people to try to imitate it and hijack trains. Mm-hmm. So they finally, after agreeing on everything else, the last item was that they required the movie to take out a $20 million insurance policy on what they called kook insurance so that if anyone... <laughs> would copy the movie and hijack a train, they would have coverage. And that like cost them, that was like $300,000 extra in this film's budget was to buy that insurance policy. Wow. Yeah, that's probably a huge chunk of their budget. You said $20 million insurance. So uh, yeah. 20 of these heists in order to pay for that insurance? Yeah, exactly. Well, no, it, the, the policy was $20 million. Right, yeah, yeah, the, the policy premium, The premium was like two or 300000 Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and maybe that's why they had Mr. Blue touch the third rail, because they're like, hey, just yeah. so you know, if you do this on a train, you can touch the third rail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and one thing we also didn't mention, uh, we did retweet it from our account, but uh, Christopher McQuarrie, who directed some of the Mission Impossible movies, the, the great filmmaker, he must be a listener to this podcast, because he, on January 18th, watched The Taking of Pella 123 and did a whole twi- Twitter thread about that movie and, and his thoughts on it. Yeah, so we, we, yeah. Could, uh, we could link to that for people who want to check it out. And he is a huge fan of this movie. He was just basically going scene by scene and showing. And like, I think his, the key point that he keeps raising is that he shows that like everything that everybody says is in service of plot. Like it's something that comes up later. So, mm-hmm. you know, as a screenwriter, I'm sure that's something that he really appreciated that there's no like just like loose strands of dialogue. That's a lot of just setting things up. So that's definitely to the, to the film's credit. Um, and I just checked the budget for this movie was $3.8 million. So that insurance policy was somewhere between five to 10% of the budget for complete nonsense. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. in this movie, um, it, you know, you do see a lot of things that you see in later heist and hostage movies. So maybe we'll get into some of that as we move on to connections. Yeah. Um, so right. first, so I guess we'll do our ratings, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So listener ratings, uh, we have an average listener rating of 3.75. Uh, Av, yeah, what uh, is your rating? Um, I'll give it a 3.0. Um, I thought it was fun. It created a, a great New York City vibe, but as we said, the characters were kind of lame. Um, not lame, but just underdeveloped. And the plot was, you know, 
pretty straightforward, but as we mentioned, a lot of things that just don't really add up. But it's definitely a movie that I think is worth seeing. Certainly, if you're like, you know, you're a, you want to see a bunch of old 70s movies, this is one of the ones that you should check out. But if you decide not to, you're not missing like an all-time great classic. Like this yeah. yeah, I'm going to go a little higher and give it a half a star just because I thought that they uh, made a pretty damn good uh, New York movie. The movie feels like New York. It sounds like New York. It smells like New York. Smell-O-Vision. Uh, Smell-O-Vision is in full effect with this movie, and I really enjoyed it. Um, I, do, I agree that certain performances and development of the characters are lacking, but overall, it's a, it's a pretty non-high-stakes, um, non but still fun watch. Um, yeah. And so I, I give it... I mean, my, my average is usually going to be about a 3.5 if it's a good movie. And I thought this was a good movie, so I'm going to give it a 3.5. Yeah, I agree. It was a good movie. It's a simple, kind of low-stakes movie. It's not super long. You don't get super invested in it. Um, but unfortunately, it just kind of felt like it was three-fifths of a movie to me. The third act kind of fell off. We didn't get any development of anybody. Uh, so I will give it a 3.0, just like Ob. I think I matched Ob's rating sure. last week as well. So, uh, so that gives us an average of 3.5. Not a bad movie. Good way to spend a you know Saturday or yep. a Sunday afternoon. Let's get into. We did have a little bit of feedback. Jeff sent in, uh, and he's he's a little bit older than us, but you know he he didn't like the music. He said the music was terrible, brassy stuff from the early seventies. Oh, get out of here, Jeff! Yeah, I know. Get out of here. That's, I, what, I, that's I, the I point. That. It's supposed yeah. to feel like it's supposed to feel very of New York, and it was definitely yeah. that was Jeff like the only Jeff is too hyped for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and he he said the movie is good, not great was predictable at times he enjoyed it but he doesn't think it's a classic and he has no idea why someone remake to remade it and he didn't see the remake well jeff you should watch the remake it's on netflix it's yeah, actually not jeff, bad and, and just yeah. so you know somebody remade it twice so. yes and it's a book <laughs> so you can do the whole uh yeah. taking of power one two three universe if you want so, so and, and he, he said it was funny to see some of these actors so young so here's the question is, do you think that your reaction to this movie is directly impacted by heist movies that have come after it that you grew up on? Do you think you'd enjoy this movie more if you hadn't seen as many heist movies? Yeah, probably, because I was just expecting more to happen. I mean, I feel like any robbery and heist movie I've seen, we've gotten you know, we've gotten a lot more. We've gotten a, a deeper, complex plot or uh, better characters or anything like that, so... But, you know, this it's it's kind of like with Reservoir Dogs, how we talked about that you could see the basis of a lot of Tarantino. You could see the, I don't, you know, and I'm sure there were heist movies before this, but you could see the basis for where, you know, your diehards and your speeds and uh, yeah. you know, all of these hostage and, and bank movie, bank heist movies. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. And uh, so with that, uh, let's move on to our connections. Hello, All right, so let's move on to our listener suggestions as we figure out what our ladder connection will be for next week's podcast. Uh, Of course, if you are just now rejoining us, we did just recap the taking of Pelham 123, the 1974 version, a little bit about the 2009 version. And now we are going to take an element from that movie and we are going to decide on the movie that we are discussing next week. So we do this with the help of our listener suggestions and our host suggestions. So we'll just kind of get instant reactions as we talk about these and then we'll decide our final three. And from the final three, we will decide our final winner that we'll move on to next week's ladder suggestion. 
Uh, of course, you can always suggest Ladder Connections to us on Twitter, at Ladder Movie. You also can email us, themovieladder at gmail.com. My brother, Aaron, suggested Beverly Hills Cop 3 or How High because of Hector Elizondo. Have you guys seen either of those? Uh, I've seen Beverly Hills Cop 3, but not How High. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 3 is Same. one of those movies that was always on HBO or AMC um, as a kid after it came out in the 90s. So it was, it's a really, it's not a good movie, but it's still a fun movie because it's Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, but, not- so Beverly Hills Cop 3 was a favorite of my brother and mine growing up. So that would be a fun movie to talk about. It's all about a theme park. Uh, how high? I think I saw that. I don't remember much about it. Uh, he also suggested Dennis the Menace with Walter Matthau. And another one he suggested to me was How to Train Your Dragon, which I was like, oh, is is Hector Alonso in there? And he said, no, it just has the word train in the title. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I've never I seen can, How to Train Your Dragon, though. And that, that could be a fun one to recap. Scott Ring suggested yeah, because of Scott the Walter Ring. Matthau connection, JFK. Yeah, and it involves crime and conspiracies and... Yeah. Yeah. It's a- um, Jeff, who we mentioned earlier, he sent in Bad News Bears or Grumpy Old Men for Walter Matthau. Both great he also choices. suggested Force 10 from Navarone with uh, Robert Shaw. I've never even heard of that. And that's an uh, older war movie that is really good, um, but I've never actually seen it all the way through. It's one of those ones that used to air on AMC all the time as a kid that you just sort of see it in the listings and go, oh, yeah. Never. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, so that could be a fun one because that's a total blind spot for us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he also said, suggested some heist movies such as Air Force One, Die Hard 2, Speed, and Delta Force. Uh, yeah, so those are our listener suggestions. We have Beverly Hills Cop 3, How High, Dennis the Menace, How to Train Your Dragon, JFK, Bad News Bears, Grumpy Old Men, Force 10 from Navarone, Air Force One, Die Hard 2, Speed, and Delta Force. And now we're going to do our host suggestions. And Brendan, what are your connections? Yeah, I'm excited to go first. I have three strong New York movies that I chose. Uh, The first one, two of which I've never seen, one of which I've seen a million times. Uh, The first one is Money Train, the comedy starring, action comedy starring Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. It involves money on trains. New York City Transit Cops, and I've never seen it. Uh, I've never seen that either, and if we do that, I have a strong idea what our next one is going to be. Yeah, I've seen it, but not in a long time. It was one of those that we rented, like, five videos from the video store, and that was one of them. Funny. Yeah, and I'm sure I saw it and have no memory of it as a kid. Um, My next one is The Warriors, the 1970s New York City movie featuring gangs fighting and several trains. Never seen yeah. it, heard it's great, but I do know that the Rewatchables covered it earlier last year, so I don't know if we'd want to go down that road. But yeah, I've never I've, seen Warriors. and I I've never seen it. I, I watched it when the Rewatchables did it. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fun movie. It's like, there's a lot of colorful characters. It's, I could, it's like a very big cult movie. I didn't like love it. I thought that, you know, there were some confusing parts also, but mm. it's, you know, it's, it's a fun movie and I would, I would revisit it. And my third suggestion is one of my all-time favorite New York movies. And this movie hinges on the decision of a mayor that may or may not be incompetent. May or Ghostbusters may not be. 2. Ghostbusters 2 is a fantastic follow-up to Ghostbusters 1. And I don't understand why people don't enjoy Ghostbusters 2. I love it. And I would love to review it for this podcast. This is the one with Melissa McCarthy? This is not that one. 
This is the one with Peter McNichol and a ancient medieval art painting that comes to life. I don't think I've ever seen Ghostbusters 2, I'll be honest. Oh, wow. I'm a big yeah. fan. I, I like Ghostbusters 2. I, I, I liked it as a kid a lot, um, especially. Um, All right. Put it cool. on the board. You're on board, <laughs> just like the train. Uh, Av, you want to give your connections? Yeah, so I got two. My first is another crime mystery movie from 1974 that takes place on a train, Murder on the Orient Express, adapted from the famous Agatha Christie novel. Also um, has a sequel that was made. Yes, or no, remade. remake that was made. It was remade uh, last year, the year before. Uh, the remake was yep. supposed to be very bad. I didn't see it. Um, I've never seen either one, so I uh, neither be... have I, and I, I definitely considered it. So I'm glad somebody put it on the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen the remake. I, just like this, I've seen the remake. I haven't seen the original. Yeah, um, and then my second one is Alfred Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. Um, These were both things I was considering that I did not pick. Wow, and that's funny. The, and the, the extra like hook connection there, other than the obvious, you know, another mystery thriller that at, mm-hmm. at least starts on the train, um, is that Walter Matthau has appeared in four episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. So a little oh. bit of a Matthau-Hitchcock overlap as well. That's fun. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, Strangers on a Train was when I did my personal movie ladder last year. I watched a lot of Hitchcock. Strangers on a Train was the only one that uh, I did not get a chance to see that I really wanted to. I mean, there are definitely wow. more, but... Um, Murder on the Orient Express is on Amazon, Amazon Prime. Strangers on a Train, I, could, I did not see streaming anywhere. Okay. And Brendan, were any of your streaming? Uh, so I know that Money Train and Ghostbusters 2 are both on Prime. I don't think Warriors is actually streaming anywhere. So it might be a little harder to find. You probably have to Google Play it or something. Yeah. Um, you also, of course, can use, for any of these you can't find, you can use your uh, local library to get them. And of course, Absolutely. Amazon renting is not bad. Um, all right. So I will move on to mine. And I actually had a lot of potential connections. I think I, I really like heist and hostage movies. Uh, so, so many were going through my head. I thought a lot about Die Hard 3 because uh, there's a lot of plot elements that are similar. Uh, that would be Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh, but I did not pick that one. It was down to two of the heist hostage movies, one modern and one from right around the same time as this movie. So I'm going to go with the one that was right from this time, and that is The Assault on Precinct 13. Um, I don't know much about it. Again, I have seen the remake, and I have not seen the original. It is by John Carpenter. It is from 1976, so a few years after this. It is supposed to be really good. I think the remake takes place in Detroit. I'm not sure if the sequel or if the original does. My next connection was based on Walter Matthau. It was one that was already brought up, but it is a blind spot for me, and that is Bad News Bears. So I know Brendan, you said you've seen it. Uh, have you seen uh, Bad News Bears? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, or I I've, I've, I've I've seen parts of it, like when it's on TV. I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole yeah. thing. I think it's supposed to be really funny. Uh, they yeah. remade it, just like they remade this movie. So that is another connection. Uh, yeah, um, the remake is with uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton, yeah. And I think yeah. Cuba Gooding Jr., maybe? And then my third movie, I wanted to do something that was completely different from this. I wanted to get us away from crime movies and violence and into something that might be just, you know, just a change of pace after we've had three straight crime movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Bad News Bears would be a change of pace as well. But this was a movie that is connected because of trains, and that is the only connection. But I was thinking, what would have happened if somebody who was on that train that got taken hostage had missed the train and the doors closed in front of them? Where would their lives have gone? So I chose <laughs> sliding doors. Oh, thank you. 
Uh, have you guys seen Sliding Doors? I have not. I have is not that yet. the Sandra Bullock comedy? Uh, no, that is Gwyneth, it is a Gwyneth Paltrow movie. And the whole movie is two different storylines. One if she makes a subway and one if she misses a subway. And it's about where her life goes. So I, I always talk about the sliding doors of things. I'm like, oh, yeah. sliding doors. If, if I would have just not done this or if I would have just missed this. So I think it could lead to some very fun discussions. Uh, it is comedy. There is no crime in it. It is streaming on Hoopla. If you do use Hoopla through your local library. Uh, yeah, those are my right. three movies. Assault on Precinct 13, Bad News Bears, and Sliding Doors. What was the connection for Assault on Precinct 13? Uh, it's a hostage movie. takes place in 70s. Or it's a uh, 70s hostage movie. Got it. I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly much about kind of what they're trying to get. Uh, I was mm-hmm. trying to get money, but um, well, I think it's about a, a, a police precinct that gets taken. Over we'll have to see it and find out. By terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, I will go through all of the connections again, and then we'll decide our final three. I know we had mentioned a lot of movies in our connection. We do always put them all on our Letterboxd watch list, which you can find if you look up the Ladder Movie Podcast on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm and you click on our watch list, you'll be able to see all the movies in chronological order that we have suggested as connections. And again, if you do have your own connections for whatever we decide on, you can send those into us. What we're gonna do now is I'm gonna list all of the movies that were suggested. We are gonna pick a final three, and from that, we're gonna decide our final movie. The movies that were suggested were Beverly Hills Cop 3, How High, Dennis the Menace, How to Train Your Dragon, JFK, Bad News Bears, times two. Grumpy Old Men, Force 10 from Navarone, Air Force One, Die Hard 2, Speed, Delta Force, Money Train, Ghostbusters 2, The Warriors, Murder on the Orient Express, Strangers on a Train, Assault on Precinct 13, Bad News Bears, and Sliding Doors. (laughs) All right. So we each are going to pick one that was not one that we suggested, and that will make up our final three. Brendan, what do you pick? All right, so this is a tough one because there are actually a lot of really good suggestions this week, both from the listeners and from you guys. Uh, The one that stuck out to me the most that I kind of would like to go there, I've been in a a war movie mood lately since seeing 1917. I would love to uh, actually sit down and watch Force 10 from Navarone. That's going to be my pick. All right, Force 10 from Navarone. Av, what is your pick? Um, I am going to go with, I'm, I have, I've narrowed it down to two in my head between Sliding Doors and Bad News Bears. <laughs> and let's go with Sliding Doors for mine. Yeah. I've never seen that. It sounds fun. Um, I'd love to check it out. All right. Well, I appreciate you picking. Part of it was I, I, like two or three months ago, I had to watch a bunch of baseball movies for our 32 fans baseball bracket. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't want to know if I want to watch another baseball movie. I was going to ask if Bad News Bears was on that. I don't remember it being on there. Yeah, I think yeah. it was. Just it was not on like the side of the bracket that was my responsibility. So I, I did not watch it. So I, I guess I could find a loophole and pick Bad News Bears because that was suggested by Jeff and not just by me. Uh, but I will not. Um, I am going to go with that weak connection that my brother sent in, and I'm going to say How to Train Your Dragon, because I think it would be fun to talk about a cartoon. Well, it could be, could be, and, and a children's movie, which is yeah. not a. It's supposed to be really think... good too. I yeah. Heard. All right, so those are our final three. If your movie did not get chosen, do not be discouraged. You have a better chance of not getting picked than you do of getting picked. 
each week. But keep sending in your suggestions because that is what makes this Absolutely. podcast great. And so now we have our final three. Force 10 from Navarone, Sliding Doors, and How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, <laughs> three incredibly different movies. Yeah, I don't think – I mean, I think the only one of us that has seen any of these is I've seen Sliding Doors. Uh, Force 10 is on Amazon Prime. It's also on Hoopla. Fantastic. Sliding Doors is on Hoopla. Hoopla's getting a lot of love today. And How to Train Your Dragon. It's probably on Disney Plus. I don't think that's a Disney movie. Uh, yeah, How it's, to Train Dra- it's, it's reworked. Yeah. Right. Uh, that is also on Amazon Prime. Oh, so all are streamable, which is nice. Anybody have a strong feeling one way or the other? Well, my only strong feeling is that the connection for How to Train Your Dragon is really weak. We all need sauce. <laughs> it is very weak. Yeah, and the, I mean, the word train isn't even in taking a Pelham 123's title, so it feels, it's a, it, yeah, it's a little too weak to go from there. I mean, yeah. I'm all for weird connections between our picks, but that one I'm, that one I'm out on. Uh, yeah, that, uh, that's fair. It does have, I'm looking at it, it has a great cast. We'll be able to go a lot of funny ways. Uh, this is true. But yeah, maybe, maybe How to Train Your Dragon will have to come up later on, because I, I think, think it's this, a movie that, that I think it's a movie that could come up later for sure. Well, I mean, I would, I would co-sign on Sliding Doors because it was my suggestion. That's fair. I, I actually would co-sign Sliding Doors as well. I, I'm intrigued by the premise. Um, there's a lot of Gwyneth Paltrow going around right now. This could be really a good time for us to get in on the Gwyneth Paltrow zeitgeist. Yeah, it's a, it's a super goopy watch. movie. Yeah, is yeah. it goopy? Oh, man. Uh, Sliding Doors is going to be our pick. The connection there is that it is about a train and what would happen if you missed a train versus making a train, which a lot of the hostages in this movie would probably hope would be the case. Uh, Sliding Doors is streaming on Hoopla. So nice. if your library participates in Hoopla, you can sign up on there. It also I see looks it's like... also it's on Amazon Prime. Oh, oh it is on Amazon Prime. According to All my right. phone. All right. Uh, and it's on Vudu, Free, and Pluto TV, but both of those have ads. Um, uh, and it does star Gwyneth Paltrow, and I don't know if it has anybody else. Not a whole lot of anybody else. Or John Hanna is, uh, you'll recognize him from some other movies as well. He's a British actor. So it is a very yeah. British movie. There should be a lot of ways to go from there. We're going back to the 90s. We're going back to Sliding Doors. Uh, again, thank you guys all for listening. If you've seen Sliding Doors and you have comments, questions, connections or anything else that you want us to talk about next week when we do talk about sliding doors you can send that feedback to at ladder movie on twitter you also can email us the movie ladder at gmail.com and you can find us at ladder movie on letterboxd as well and i guess we can all give our uh, our own social media brendan where can people find you uh people can find me on twitter at fitzy brendan uh, or I am also the man behind the at Post Show Recaps Twitter handle. You can also find me on Letterboxd at BrenFids11. Oh, where can we find you? I'm on both Twitter and Letterboxd at A. Sinemsky. And what, you've been doing a lot of podcasting this week. What else have you been podcasting? Yeah, we did our 32 Fans Movies Best Movie of 2019 bracket. That's me, Will Simon, and Sammy Chester. Um, it was a lot of fun. We chose 32 movies. Some were submitted by listeners, some submitted by us, some that were just like among the most, you know, consensus best movies of the year, but it's determined by Oscars and critics, etc. And we did a March Madness style bracket until we got down to a final four, a final two, and we declared the best movie of the year. And I'll tell you, I was very surprised at what it was. It was not oh, really? what I expected. So if you want to find mm-hmm. what it is, tune in. You can find that on our feed. On It's available also on 
I'm, all the same platforms that this one is on. It's called 32 Fans Movies. I'm excited to listen. I saw a couple of your first round matchups on the bracket you posted, and I was a little annoyed at a couple of first round matchups because there was two very, very, very good movies going against each other that shouldn't have been in the first round against each other. But, <laughs> yeah, there was some, there was some tough, tough, some tough choices. And with yeah. the bracket, it's always like kind of takes you for a loop because like you know something could get knocked <laughs> off in the first round that it could have otherwise gone to the finals. It's got a different seating. Yeah, brackets are tough. Yeah, I keep, I keep debating about if I want to listen to that or if I want to try to catch up on a couple more 2019 movies before I listen because mm. um, I definitely mm-hmm. have a lot of 2019 blinds. Yeah, well, it's just, you know, anyone who's worried, we don't really spoil anything other than, yeah. I think, Avengers. So if you still haven't seen Avengers That's yet, fair. you know. Then you weren't going to see what, it anyway. Yeah, whatever. I mean. uh, but I don't think we spoil anything else. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, uh, all right. and you can find me at BrooksZA on all platforms. I like to have consistency. I'm on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram. Uh, everything friendster all kinds of stuff uh and, and again you can find at ladder movie for the overall twitter and letterboxd feed we will be putting all of our connections as well as the full ladder and the rating for the movie on our letterboxd page which is the ladder movie yeah. and thank you guys all for joining us again we will be back next week to discuss the 1998 movie sliding doors with gwyneth paltrow uh, the yeah. connection there is that the it is about a train. And again, you can find it on Hoopla and on Amazon and um, also at your local library if you want to get the disc. We hope that you uh, are able to check that out and you want to uh, send in some feedback. Otherwise... Yeah, and uh, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe uh, on all your podcast platforms. Yes, we are now on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Uh, we're on Spotify, yeah. everywhere. So um, if we are not on the platform that you like, please let us know. Yep. And uh, tell your friends we are building up steam on this train. And stand clear of the closing doors, please. Have you ever wondered what might have been? Would things be different if you caught the train instead of missing it? How much would your life change if you were 10 minutes early? No! Instead of 10 minutes late. Helen? If I had just caught that train, I'd have been home ages ago. Oh, you don't want to go wondering about things like that. Now, Helen's life is about to go down two different tracks. Gwyneth Paltrow and Gwyneth Paltrow in the story of a woman about to choose.